0: Phone lines are wide open. Let's do it.
1: It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34Truth. That's 866-34Truth. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, thank you for joining
0: us today on The Line of Fire, Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. You know what happens on Fridays, anything you want to call in about, ask about, challenge me on, probe, phone lines are open, 866 truth 866-348-7884. I just have it on my heart to remind you that the joy of the Lord is our strength comes from surprising text in Nehemiah 8 as the people are mourning and weeping as the... The law of God is being read, and they're recognizing how deeply they've sinned. And and Nehemiah exhorts the people, hey, it's not the time now, this feast day for mourning. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. And Paul, writing from prison in Philippians, says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. So regardless of the craziness around us, we rejoice in the Lord because he is always good. One quick thing. I was asked a question last week uh, about the book of Daniel, Jews hating the book of Daniel and an equidistant message proclaiming Jesus, Yeshua, uh, through the book of Daniel. That's why Jews hate it. Someone asked me about that. And then when I said, well, who is it that taught this? Uh, it was Pastor Troy Brewer. I said, Troy, a good guy. I know him. I spoke at his church one time. And anyway, then I reached out to him and he was mortified. He said, oh, no. He said, I, I, I apologize. He said, I heard that from some Jewish people that didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't know if it was accurate or not. I repeated what had been said. And and absolutely, it's not what he teaches. Or And anyway, so he, he wrongly said it, apologized. <laughs> so here it's like, oh, I didn't, when I asked who it was, I didn't expect that answer. So Troy loves the Lord, uh, loves the word, loves the Jewish people, and is, is a fine pastor. So uh said that that happened. Uh, he did say those things, passing it on from someone else, but they were inaccurate, and uh, he was mortified that he did that. So I want to make sure I passed that on and cleared his good name. 866-34-TRUTH. We start in Connecticut with Steve. Thank you for calling the line of fire.
2: Hey, Hope all is well.
0: All is well, sir.
2: All right. So my question um, is, if if the current state of heaven... Is an immaterial realm. How can we reconcile that with the fact that Jesus, Enoch, and Elijah were taken
0: up in physical bodies? Right. So the question is can a physical body, a normal physical body, it exist in that realm? And to me, that would be like comparing apples and oranges. In other words, you're talking about two different realms. It is a material realm, but just a different materiality, right? Like Paul speaks in First Corinthians 15 of us having spiritual bodies, so they are material, but they're spiritual rather than the physical bodies that we have now. So my understanding is that Jesus, of course, is in his resurrected, glorious body, and that if you're talking about Enoch and Elijah, who did not physically die— then they would have to be in some type of glorified state as well. I mean, it's, it's a great question to ask, but they couldn't exist in a physical body any more than a human being could, could exist on, on Mars just walking the planet without a space suit, right? So we're talking about two different realms. It's, it is a real realm. It is a realm more real than, than what we can touch. You know, this this table that I'm, I'm tapping on now, more real than our physical flesh and, and blood. It will, will endure forever, and yet of a different materiality. So they would did, did they receive resurrected bodies in advance? Are they in some type of intermediate state, uh, waiting spiritually, and they're not in physical bodies until the resurrection? That would be the other option. But Jesus is certainly in a glorified body. Does that make sense?
2: Right. Yeah, that seems to clear it up. Thank you very much.
0: You are very welcome. I love these questions. Uh, tons of questions I never think of myself, but you ask me here on the air. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Walter in St. Louis. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
2: Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you doing?
0: I'm blessed, man. I really am. Thank you.
2: Amen, amen. Hey, uh. I appreciate it. I talked to you last week, and that was a good answer. Uh, you know, I don't want my kids to read stuff that, if they emulated the protagonist, they would be in the Lake of Fire. So, But this week, I was wondering, if the beast in Revelation that has a head that seemed to have a fatal womb that was healed, mm-hmm. and I just wonder if you could explain that a little bit, like, how was it inflicted first? And
0: right. yeah, so, what- Walter, yeah, um, by the way, somehow— not sure how, but uh, our call screeners are really diligent to make sure that we don't uh, bring a caller back on within a couple of weeks, to be fair to others. I'm sure you didn't know that, uh, weren't trying to break the rules, but somehow got through. But, Walter, we don't know. short answer is we, you're reading the exact same text as I am. Number one, it's symbolic. It's it's visionary. So we don't know exactly how it plays out in an earthly way. But we don't know. We You're looking at the exact same text with limited information, sir. So I I wish I could tell you more, but it would be pure speculation. And what's the use of of just giving you my pure speculation? You might as well speculate on your own. All right. God bless, sir. Good to hear from you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Fred in New Jersey. Thank you, sir, for calling the line of fire. Uh,
2: Yes, my question. Thanks for taking my call. My question is, should Philemon be taken out of the Bible since he was a slave
0: owner? Ah, well And should rea-
2: be should we be Christians because Philemon was a Christian.
0: Yeah, got it. So the whole cancel culture, how far does it go, right? Right. right. Yeah. I I mean look, if if you carry it out ultimately, it 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 will end up being a rebellion against God and his authority. I mean that's that's kind of the, the bottom line that you're going to end up with uh, rebellion against God and against the authority of God and throughout the Bible, throughout the Christian faith, etc. But in short, Fred, Philemon was one of the key texts that was used to fight against slavery. That was one of the strongest texts, right, Uh, as you know. So that was one of the strongest texts of all to fight against slavery and to say, hey, Onesimus was your slave. He fled. Paul led him to the Lord, and Paul said, now he's a brother now. Receive him as a bro- whoa, that that was revolutionary and radical and very very different for sure. Right. So
2: and also real quick, did Solomon have like hundreds of thousands of slaves building the temple, uh, or they just they were captured? Right, you
0: you had you you had mainly Israelites who were put under enforced uh, labor. In in other words. Solomon ruled pretty heavily. I mean, the nation prospered; it was a golden age in a certain level. But, right. but on the other hand, it, it was somewhat oppressive. So, Israel across uh, across the nation, the the people were conscripted conscripted to do work. But remember, you still had many other people Canaanite background and others who who were there in Israel, and they could they be cl- Um some some would have been slaves, but others basically, rather than don't kill us, let us just be part of you and we'll serve however we do. A good example of that is if you read Joshua, the ninth chapter with the Gibeonites, uh, they came deceitfully, right? And uh, they came deceitfully and claimed they come from a distant land and all that. And Israel made a covenant with them and then found out they were, they were local neighbors. They should have been driven out. And, but now Israel made a covenant. So they said, you know, what are we going to do? Now, you're being attacked. They said, hey, we'll just serve you. So you definitely had a system that was not 100% equal. It was far better than what had come before. All right, Just like Jesus said, divorce was given. Divorce was never the ideal because of the hardness of human hearts. That's why polygamy was was allowed under certain circumstances, because the fallen human nature was never the ideal. We keep moving towards that and further away from what was, and when read rightly, the Bible is a book of liberation. And the children of Israel come out of Egypt as liberated slaves. And some of the very first legislation God gives really immediately after the Ten Commandments, starting at Exodus 21, starts with, with laws about slavery. And, and, and I believe one of the reasons is God says it's not going to be the way it was in Egypt. That's not what you are going to do with your own people who, who are enslaved or who are indentured servants. And even, even the idea of Sabbath, that everybody rests on the Sabbath, slave and free alike, was revolutionary. So the Bible is rightly used as a book of liberation from slavery. Hey, thanks for the call, Fred. Uh, You know, I I saw the other day the Dixie Chicks, I guess, famous country group, I haven't followed them, that wanted to meet this moment. They said that they're getting rid of Dixie, so as not to be offensive, and just want to be the Chicks. But I tweeted, and, and just kind of having a little fun with the extremes that the cancel culture can go to and try to illustrate a point. I I, I said, look, to many women, it's offensive to be called chicks. So maybe the band should just be the, because Dixie has to go, chicks has to go, maybe just the, and then someone else suggested, yeah, but that has he in it, maybe just leave it with T. I mean, how far does this go? 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, Let's go over to Marie in Los Angeles. Thanks for calling the line of fire.
3: Hi, thanks for having me, Dr. Brown. How are you?
0: Doing very well, thank you.
3: Um, So I have a question about um, the annexation um, that's going on um, with Israel right now and the role that the United States is playing with it. So um, personally, I'm just kind of confused because I'm hearing you know, several pastors speak about it, and then I hear several, um, you know, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, mixed reviews about it, how we're not supposed to be dividing God's land, and they feel like, you know, if the United States is involved, there's going to be judgment coming to the United States, and all these things that are going to, you know, happen, um, and and feeling that this is some sort of a prophetic um, deal that's happening. So I just wanted to know... um, and kind of get some understanding on how important this is and how it ties into Scripture.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a complex question because you're dealing with Scripture, and then you're dealing with human beings, Israelis, Palestinians. Uh, so there are, there are a few issues here. Uh, number one, the annexation is not dividing the land, it's the opposite. It's basically expanding Israel's borders, to take in areas now that would be considered Palestinian territory, but then to say to those Palestinians, well, now you'll, you'll have full citizenship, basically or citizenship within Israel. So it's, it's the opposite of dividing. But the question is, does Israel have a divine right to do that? Did it have a right under any current law to do it? Is it an unjust land grab? Should Christians be more concerned about the needs of the Palestinians? Uh, what does the Bible say about dividing the land? So we come back on the other side of the break. We'll answer all those questions together. Eight six six three four truth. That is the number to call.
1: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks for joining us, friends, on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Just a few quick announcements, then I want to go back to Marie's question about the potential annexation of parts of judea Samaria, commonly known as the West Bank or Occupied Territories in contemporary parlance. My book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads, where we Pass the Trump test, is one of the most important things you could read right now. Going into the 2020 elections, crucial reading, but even beyond, uh, how do we deal with Donald Trump? Is he a man raised up by God to help stop a tremendous collapse in America, or have evangelicals put their trust in the wrong person? How do we sort this out? How do we stay involved politically, but keep the cross before the flag? You'll find this book to be a real eye-opening read. And friends, if you order through our website, there's a special pre-order. You get a signed, numbered copy. So kind of an exclusive edition, collector's edition of the first printing. Uh, You get that. But with it, we're sending along free. My 2018 book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior, An Evangelical Leader, speaks his mind about the man who supports his president. So two books for the price of one, including, including signed numbered copy of the first edition so you can only do that through our website or you can just go ahead and order on amazon the book will be released july 13th all right also if you are with us now on youtube watching on youtube a little over an hour from now so four twenty-five eastern time we're going to be coming on youtube for an hour more of q a so if you're unable to get through by phone or it's just easier for you to type your questions in join us back on YouTube. That's the Ask Dr. Brown, A S K D R Brown YouTube channel, where many of you are watching right now. That'll be slightly over an hour from now. Okay, so back to Marie. The first thing is, Israel is in the land today by God's grace. In other words, it's not that Israel has fulfilled covenantal responsibilities, has repented, has turned to God, has embraced the Messiah. Israel is in the land by God's grace. So, You can't say, well, we have prophesied borders, or that's not the issue right now, because this is all by grace, as opposed to that that Israel has fulfilled its covenant obligations, and therefore God is obligated to fulfill his covenant obligations and expand the borders. So Israel's here by grace. We can't make that argument. Uh, Also in Joel 3, where God speaks against the nations that divide his land, what it really seems to be speaking of is... Dividing his land, meaning splitting it up for themselves. In other words, Israel is is pushed out, and now I'm going to take this chunk, and you're going to take this chunk, and you're going to take this chunk, and you're going to take this chunk. chunk. That's what it seems to be saying. But the big thing is God says, it's my land. It's his land. Mm -hmm. And it's important to him in terms of how it is handled. It's different in a unique way. The whole world is his, but in a unique way. That land, he says, is his land and his inheritance, and it must be treated rightly. So Israel is basically saying they have the right to do this and the possibility of annexing these territories. What's interesting is that while the, the Palestinian Authority leadership is absolutely condemning this and threatening severe repercussions, and other uh, Arab leaders are speaking against it, what's interesting is that there are Palestinians on the ground that are being interviewed and said, we'd rather be part of Israel than be under Mahmoud Abbas and Palestinian authority. We think we have more rights and more freedoms there, and this would be part of Trump's incentive. Hey, you can have economic prosperity and a lot more self-determination if you let us do this. It it is a, uh, a difficult situation to navigate. In other words, as believers, I think we could make an argument for it or an argument against it. I don't just look at it that whatever Israel does is always right and whatever Israel does is always necessary and however Israel expands is right. Uh, I, don't, I don't just look at it automatically like that. It, it must be weighed. I do think, if done rightly, that it could bring more freedom and prosperity to the Palestinians living there and could therefore be positive if it creates massive negative repercussions in the Muslim world with many Muslim nations now willing to work more closely with Israel, like Saudi Arabia and others, then it could have more of a negative impact. So we, we need to pray for wisdom, for prime ministers Netanyahu and Gantz as they serve in leadership in Israel now, and for President Trump in America that God will guide. I know some are dogmatic either way on this. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not as clear in terms of what's right, what's best. And it may need to play itself out before we can really see. It make get a little volatile and then things may calm down and work themselves out. Okay.
3: Well, it was um, pretty interesting. I just, I'm just so, you know, I was, I didn't know really to understand where it was going from here and from there, as far as how they were, um, you know, going to split that up. But I guess, like you said, we'll just have to kind of wait and see and pray yeah. and believe that hopefully it'll just be for the best.
0: <laughs> yeah. Look again, again, People have very strong opinions on this, and, and often I do as well. That I'm clearly on one side or the other. But in this case, it's it, there's there's a lot to weigh in balance. And the other the other thing with with all of this is you do have the settlements, the Jewish settlements. And and under no circumstances do I see circumstances do I see a situation in which all the settlers and settlements will be uprooted. Therefore, there's going to be a Jewish presence there. If you can just expand it, make it a all clearly part of the Jewish state. Other Palestinians are under that. If they can prosper, if they can have more rights of self-determination, if they won't be living as second-class citizens, then I would be in favor of it if, if that would be the outcome. Hey, appreciate the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Robert, who is not giving his location for strategic reasons. Welcome to the line of fire.
4: Hello, Dr. Brown. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Um, I, I am, yeah. I I'm at a a um. I've been going to a kind of like a house church, during the but it kind of accidentally formed during the coronavirus
5: mm-hmm. thing. It
4: was kind of a small group, and we had a few people start, and then after it started the coronavirus, now is starting to kind of dissipate. There's some more people that started to come and we eventually want to go back to the other church but um basically I've had some concerns about somebody that um they told me one week that they were having some like demonic activity in their house and um they and she um her basically and then the next after a week later she told was to, I had a headache after church and we were, um, having kind of like a fellowship meal. And um, basically she, she said, well, you can pinch your pinch between your thumb and your finger and it'll make your headache go away. And I'm like, and I'm like, where did that come from? And I kind of felt very uncomfortable about, about it. And, and she said, um, I think she said like some sort of a, I think I think she said acupuncture, but I talked to somebody else and they thought it was reflexology. And I'm like, wait, now that sounds like witchcraft. How do I, you know, go to that person and gently, you know, explain to them that this isn't this is this is probably the problem.
0: So, so Robert, I I would I would ask for someone who's an elder, more mature believer, to uh, to sit down with you and this person. And just first say, hey, what was going on with the demonic stuff in the house? Just find out about that. And then just ask, oh, okay, just this may be off. I'm just curious. But, you know, when you had recommended the thing with a headache, was it like some physiological thing or was it some spiritual principle or like reflexology or where is that coming from? And then just have an honest conversation. And if you've got someone mature and experienced in the Lord, then maybe this— Families dabbling in all kinds of weird stuff, and maybe that's why there is demonic activity, or maybe what they thought was demonic activity was not demonic at all. It's just a natural explanation for it, and this was just some little trick that you know the the, the lady's mother once told her, like you do this, it takes away the attention from the pain here. So you don't want to read too much into it, but you never know. So just. Get with someone else, you know, one of the, the recognized leaders, and just not as a big deal, just say, hey, co- we're just curious about something. And if it turns out to be a big deal, fine. Otherwise, it, it may be absolutely minor. Hey, Robert, thanks. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Eight six six three four truth. truth Let's go to Jorgea. Not sure if I pronounced that correctly. In Switzerland, welcome to the line of fire.
6: Jorgea, actually. Jorgea. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I have a question. I'm a pastor. I'm a Latino pastor, but I live here in Europe, and I'm doing kind of the same as you, like uh, teaching through Facebook, especially now through through the time of coronavirus. I didn't do this before, but I'm doing that. Well, I want to go to the point, uh, but um, I've been teaching a lot about escapology uh, and the end times, and I used to be a dispensationalist, but uh, mm-hmm. after going deeper into the Bible— I I am not anymore, and I heard Mm -hmm. some programs where you speak about, you know, the rapture and all these things, and I I clearly see in the Bible the very same thing, like Jesus Christ is coming back in the parousia, and then we're cut out then. yeah. But my question is, I've been trying to uh, understand, because I'm teaching about this as well, I've been trying to understand the 70 weeks of Daniel, and Mm -hmm. I know as a free trip, I could, you know, expose about that and, and speak about that, but uh, I heard you talking about and teaching about this in a very short video, and I believe also that this whole should have been fulfilled before the seventy uh, this 80, 80. Yeah. and uh, of course it could come back again. I understand that as well, there's a principle there as well. but my question is very very specific uh, after all this uh, explanation uh, in daniel nine twenty seven uh, people usually people who are more predator
0: well, t- t- tell you what, st- stay right there. We got a break, and on the other side of the break, you can focus in on Daniel nine twenty seven. Everybody, get your Bibles out. Look at that. By the way, you'll be amazed. A lot of different translations read things differently. The Hebrews somewhat difficult there too. All right, we will be right back.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. You've got questions, we've got answers. In a moment, I want to give a special invitation and challenge to everyone watching on our Facebook page, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, over on Facebook. But let us go over to Switzerland, Question about Daniel 927. All right, Jorgea. I'll get close to one of these yeah, days. Jorge, uh, Jorge yeah. yeah, you know, I keep thinking Switzerland, even though you said you're, you're Hispanic. Yes, yeah, so Jorge, yeah. got it. Yes, yeah, so yeah. 927 specifically. Very, yeah.
6: Very specific. Who is the one who makes a covenant with many for a week, and then he actually uh, caused the sacrifice and oblation to cease? Who is it? Is right. it Jesus or is it the Antichrist?
0: Right. So there are three different ways of reading it, sir, which is so fascinating. One is that it's talking about Jesus, that he confirms the covenantal promises, and by dying in the middle of this, this 70th week, then uh, he now causes sacrifices and offerings to cease. In other words, his death fulfills all of that, and there is no need for those going forward. And then what follows. And it's obviously within that generation, so forty years later, is the destruction of the temple. That's one way that it has been read. The other historic way that it has been read is it is referring to some type of agreement with with Rome, which then gets broken, and because of that, you know, the Jewish revolt, etc, and now uh, the the Roman armies under Titus destroy the temple, thereby causing sacrifice and oblation to cease, and then the final desolation that follows. That would be the other way to read it from a historical perspective, and arguments can be made both ways. The other is that that 70th week is separate from the first 69, that it is awaiting a covenant that the Antichrist will make halfway through that, he will then kind of declare war. So there'll be some pseudo-peace and a rebuilt temple and everything looks good, and then he shows his true colors, and that's when all hell breaks loose and, and temple attacked and, and no more sacrifice and things like that. And then the fourth possibility, as 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 you're aware, would be that it refers to the destruction under Rome and, and that it's talking about what Rome did in a destructive negative way uh, that happened uh, up to the year 70 AD, and that that will kind of replay at the end of the age, just like Matthew 24 has layers to it. That will then replay at the end of the age with an Antichrist figure. That would be another way to read it that would give it a prophetic future application, but also a past historical application.
6: And what's your position on it, if I may ask?
0: I lean towards the, the second... Uh, with with it referring to to Rome, uh, but with the possibility of a future capitulation as well. In other words, I do not see it as exclusively future for sure. I see the argument uh, in terms of the possibility of it referring to the Messiah. It just it doesn't it doesn't read as well or make as much sense. Uh, so I lean towards two with an option for four. I certainly do not see three that it's all future, which would be the dispensationalist reading, and one I have questions about. But after all these all right. years, yeah, after all these years, I, I'm not dogmatic about it um, because it, I don't see it as affecting. I don't see the need to be dogmatic on it. Whereas Daniel nine twenty four, which the things that have to be fulfilled that the Messiah had to accomplish, that to me is of has been of the greater concern in debates with rabbis and interacting with the Jewish community. Um, so, I, And because of the translation challenges, I haven't been as dogmatic. But you have my views. I prefer two with the possibility of four. All right?
6: All right. All right. Thank you so much.
0: Yep. Keep teaching and see what conclusions you come to. 866-342. Friends, again, this happens every so often on a Friday. we got a phone line or two actually open. So if you Trying to get through now is a great time. Okay, I've got an invitation for our friends on Facebook. This is the first week that during the broadcast we've had our donate button up, where you can support Ask Doctor Brown. We've had our donate button up each day during the broadcast on Facebook. Now we've got I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of broadcasts on Facebook and tens of thousands of posts and memes and articles. And of course, everything free, and this is free content. But we want to invite you to partner with us in the spirit of that the one who's taught in the word share all good things with his teacher. So if we've been a blessing to you, then help us reach more people. Everything in our heart is to reach more, to be more effective, to produce more quality material that will have a greater and greater impact in these crazy critical times. So if if you believe in us and say, Yeah. Dr. Brown, we believe you're providing a voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity at a critical time in American world history. We want to stand with you, then click on the donate button. all right? If your gift is one dollar or one thousand dollars or ten dollars or a hundred, every gift matters. So if you 're watching, especially if we 've been a blessing to you over the years, stand with us. All right? We appreciate it. Thank you. So many of you have responded already this week, and as always, to our torchbearers our monthly supporters that undergird our work and enable us to speak to so many people through radio and internet around the world, uh, to our Patreon supporters, uh, to those who've given one-time gifts, to those who pray for us, thank you. This is a sacred partnership together with the Lord and each of you. So thank you. Together, we are making a difference. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go over to Fairbanks, Alaska. Dan, welcome to the Line of Fire.
2: Hey, hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. Hey, I have a question. Uh, and, you know, when you're reading the prophet, uh, how the voice is sometimes hard to tell are they referring as a, to the Messiah, to themselves, or to Israel, and it seems to switch back and forth from sentence to sentence at times. Is there a, a name for that, or, how you know, that type of thing? Did the prophets themselves understand
0: necessarily. Yeah, those uh, are those are all great questions. In in terms of a, a technical name that describes that, there's not one that is commonly used in Old Testament scholarship that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, my my wife Nancy made a great observation once when I was talking to her about passages in Jeremiah where God speaking one second and Jeremiah speaking the next second, but each time it's I, 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 I. It would be like, Mm -hmm. I say to you, you must keep my commandments and you will be blessed. And I say to you, I love being on the air with you. It's like, well, it's two different people, God and Mike Brown, but both with I. You have it, for example, the end of Jeremiah 8 into the beginning of Jeremiah 9 is is one of the clearest times. And, And she said, it's like you can't tell where God, where the prophet ends and God begins. It's like, yeah, that really says it. But then other times, like in Isaiah sixty-one-one, Ruach Adonai Elohim where the, the, the prophet says, the spirit of the Lord God's on me, that was certainly the prophet speaking, but that's ultimately the Messiah speaking. So as far right. as the prophet's consciousness, consciousness, I, I feel quite sure that they knew when they were saying, thus saith the Lord, God's words, and then when it became their own words. It may flow quite naturally one in the other in translation, or even reading it in the original Hebrew, that there, there's a certain overlap and flow. But I feel quite confident the Translators... That, excuse me?
2: The translators don't always agree either. Exactly.
0: <laughs> where you put yeah. quotes in or where you don't. Absolutely. Well, right, look, even saying. Even in something like in the New Testament, John 3 sixteen, right? So we, we all agree that Jesus spoke John three sixteen to three twenty one. But did he speak twenty-two to thirty-six and then there's some other dialogue in there? Uh, how much of that is, is Jesus speaking, how much of that is John giving his report. So that happens in other places. I, I think the one that would have been more mysterious to the prophet would have been when a word came through them and they clearly felt was about them. They were anointed, they were called, they were speaking, but ultimately did not come to fulfillment through them. And and this is what First Peter talks about, that the prophets really searched to understand. And God said, no, this is not for you, this is for a future generation. It, it would be as if I got up and said, I know, I'm telling you, I know it, I feel it, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, and, and he's going to do X, Y, Z. And as I'm, you know, 98 years old, X, Y, Z hasn't happened yet. And the Lord said, you were speaking that prophetically for 10 generations from now. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's some of what happened. But the Lord gave them that understanding. A great example is Isaiah 49, which clearly the prophet's speaking. But then the prophet is speaking on behalf of the Messiah. And, and it's clearly mm-hmm. prophesying what the Messiah will do. So was the prophet a prototype of that? Was he a first fruits of that? Or did they, in every case, understand, no, I am speaking prophetically on behalf of the Messiah? I think sometimes yeah, they did, Isaiah, and Isaiah, other times they didn't. Isaiah
2: 48, um, on it, Isaiah forty-eight sixteen, 16, the end of, it yep. seems to be clearly speaking of the Messiah, and at the end, the verse says, so now um, God has sent me and his spirit, or in most translations, the quotes end before that verse, and like Tree of Life, that's included in the quotes. Yep. So now Adonai Elohim has sent me in his vuhak. Right, um,
0: right. Yeah, so that's, again... The
2: way right, I the, read it, I thought it was included as the prophetic, as a Messiah.
0: Right, know, so that's, that's, the, that's the thing in it, Don. It's, it, it has to be sifted because you don't have quotation marks in the original. You have to look at it, look at the context. That verse kind of like jumps out. It's a little more challenging uh, to sift through. But you'll, you'll see it happens not infrequently. And that is also because of the identification of the Lord with the prophet and often the prophet being a forerunner of the Messiah. Hey, thank you for the question. Uh 34 truth Let's go over to Florida. Sam, welcome to the Line of Fire.
6: Hi, Mr.
5: Dr. Brown. How are you doing today, sir?
0: Very well, thank you.
5: Hi. Yeah, okay. So my question has to do with sin and punishment. So we know that God is a holy God, and he punishes sin, he hates sin. But um, I'm a bit conflicted on this issue where I've heard two sides of the argument, um, where it's like I've heard a certain set of preachers say, you know, all, of, all sin was punished, and God's anger was exhausted at the cross of Christ. So there's no more punishment for sin. But I've also heard that, like, um, God still punishes sin today. So, like, say, for example, a nation turns into rebellion and, and sins against God. Um, there's still, they, God can send like a disaster or something of the sort to punish that sin. Yeah. I want to know what, what your position on this is.
0: Yeah, so, so let me just jump in. We have a break. Absolutely, yes, God still punishes sin. Of course. Plenty of examples in the New Testament. It's an absolute wrong theology to say that the punishment was put on the cross, God only punished the sin. If that was the case, there'd be no future judgment either. So I'll, I'll open that up explain it when we come back.
1: It's the line of fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Welcome back to the line of fire. And thanks for those supporting us on Facebook. We appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. So uh, back to Sam. Uh, Number one, Jesus paid for all of our sins on the cross and took the punishment that we deserve in terms of being damned to hell, being alienated from God, being cast out. He obviously does not take away if God disciplines us in this world or if, if there's a sinning nation that needs to be rebuked or dealt with. This is a matter of, of personal forgiveness and redemption. But when we get into the New Testament, nothing's changed. We see individual judgments, Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. More explicit, That's Acts 5. More explicitly, Acts 12 where Herod doesn't give glory to God and takes glory for himself and the angel of the Lord smites him and he dies. Or 1 Corinthians 11, where believers have unworthily partaken of, of the Lord's table as a result of which they've come under judgment from the Lord and, and some have died, others are sick. Uh, also in the book of Acts, Elimus the sorcerer in Acts 13, temporarily blinded as, as a sign of divine rebuke. You have Jesus in, in Revelation, the second chapter, saying this uh, to the church of Thyatira. Uh, if, if there would not be repentance because of Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'll throw her onto a sickbed, and those committed, who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I'm he who searches mind and heart. And I'll give to each of you according to your works. And then Paul frequently references the coming wrath, like Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Why is there a coming wrath that will be poured out if all the wrath was poured out at the cross and there's no future judgment? So it, it makes no sense. Some say, no, no, that's only for the end. Well, why is that different? Why is Jesus going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God, if, if sins have already been dealt with and there's no punishment. Even godly discipline can be punishment. Hebrews 12, it says he punishes every son he receives. So it's a complete misconception, misnomer, and it can ultimately lead to, to some type of universalism that all sin is ultimately paid for, therefore everyone is ultimately redeemed. If you want to have a, a, an illogical consistency to it, that's where it would, that's where it would go. So no, no substance to that whatsoever. The whole New Testament is against that, no, that notion.
6: Okay, thank you very much, Nick Brown.
0: You are very welcome. Eight six six three four truth Hey, what about reaping and sowing, right? God's not mocked. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that, that he'll reap. Well, how is that tying in with mocking God? Because God set it up a certain way. If you sow the Spirit of the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. you sow the flesh, the flesh will reap eternal destruction. Uh, Let's go over to Charlotte, North Carolina. John, welcome to the Line of Fire.
5: Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Brown. How are you doing today?
0: Doing well, thank you.
5: Uh, Great. Thank you for allowing God to impart his wisdom through you. Uh, My question is coming out of Ephesians 4.11, where it states that he gave some apostles, and he gave some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, my question is dealing specifically with the apostles and the uh, uh, the office of the prophets. It mm-hmm. seems like there's an expedient rise of prophets and in the, in apostles these days. My question is, what is their modern-day role and qualifications for today?
0: Yes, I, I certainly believe that apostolic and prophetic ministry continue to this day, that these things are given until we reach a certain point of maturity in the Messiah, which has, has not happen anywhere near it. So you have the, the first century apostles. You have John and Matthew and the others, and they were eyewitnesses to the Lord's ministry, his death, his resurrection. They wrote parts of the New Testament. So they do not exist. Apostles like that do not exist. No one is writing the Bible like that. No one can claim that same type of authority. And we don't have prophets like Isaiah writing scripture. But clearly, in New Testament language, it's expected and understood. They'll be apostles and prophets till the end of the age. These are all servant roles, right? It's not a matter of, look at how exalted I am, an apostle. But as I understand the role of the apostle, they are planters, they are builders, they are pioneers, they are fathers. So someone that, say, was a truly apostolic leader in his city, uh, he, he would be looked to as kind of a father Uh, among the leaders there. This would be someone who was maybe a pioneer church planter or planting new ministry organizations' works. If you think historically, uh, people that have paved missions movements around the world, uh, people like, you know, in church history, Patrick in Ireland, who went kind of a pioneer and, and brought the gospel and then became a spiritual father to the nation, or a John Knox in Scotland, or a Hudson Taylor going to China, these are people that, to me, are apostolic. My friend, Yesu in India, who's planted seven or 8,000 churches in tribal regions and pioneered works in, in different countries and and so on and has become a spiritual father of, of a region, those, those people I understand and recognize as, as apostles. So not just a pastor of a local church, their ministry will transcend that, go beyond that, although they could do that as well. Uh, a prophet is going to be someone who in, in, a, in a special way is, is hearing what the Lord is saying and declaring that message to the church and perhaps even the world. Uh, not just someone with the gift of prophecy, and, and Paul encourages everyone to seek that gift in 1 Corinthians 14, but someone that would understand the times and, and have revelation from God to speak timely words to the people of God in a consistent way and both of these people would have to be elder-level quality. In other words, they, they would have okay. to meet the qualifications of an elder in First Timothy 3 and in Titus, the first chapter.
5: Great, great. And just one more quick question. When you're dealing with the office of pastor and teacher, are those offices intertwined? Because I know there's no comma there. or just, Yeah. Uh, or,
0: They're definitely intertwined in that it's some apostles, some pastors, some evangelists, some excuse me some apostles some prophets some evangelists right some pastors and teachers that's how it's worded so they definitely are intertwined in other words it's understood that a shepherd is a teacher it's understood that a shepherd must be apt to teach nonetheless we recognize that there are still distinctions there are still two different things mentioned so someone uh, can be a pastor and and yes, they should all be apt to teach. That's for any elder. First uh, Timothy three, but that person may not be as gifted a teacher as someone else, and that's why you have this one right. as a teaching elder. So every pastor needs to be able to teach and, and share the word of God, but some are even more particularly gifted as teachers, and uh, you know that's how we we can see those distinctions. Hey, I'll I just give a, a quick a quick illustration that. Uh, uh, Someone is, is, uh pastor gets this idea. You know, we we just don't have enough fellowship in our midst. The people don't know each other well. We we need to bring everybody together. You know what we're going to do? The first Sunday of every month, we're going to, after the service, we're going to move chairs out of the way. We're going to have a big potluck. We're going to hang out and have fun for a couple hours with each other. And One of the elders is a real prophetic brother. And he says, Pastor, Pastor, there's no way God's going to bless you. There is so much sin in this camp. There's so much there's so much uncleanness and wrong— There's no way God's— We we need to repent first, and if we repent, then God will bless. And then there's another brother there, real called evangelist. He goes, Pastor, I think it's a great idea. I mean, we need to get to know each other. But, Pastor, there are people right down the block who've never heard the gospel. It would be immoral for us to sit and have a meal. Let's first hit the streets, share the gospel with our neighbors, and then we'll have a meal. And then another brother, really gifted as a teacher, and he says, Pastor— would I be able to do a series of messages on the meaning of koinonia, fellowship, before the meeting? And everybody's kind of got their way of doing it. And then if you have an apostolic person, like, why are you saying about a potluck dinner? We need to look at the whole, how are we gonna impact the whole community? How are we gonna bring the churches together? How are we gonna spread this from state to state? They're looking at it in kind of a different way as well. What you learn to do is appreciate the various gifts and how they each function and how important they are. Hey friends, less than a half hour from now, I'm gonna be right back on YouTube. So I know many of you can't get through. We can't get to nearly all your calls on Friday. But I'm going to be back on the Ask Dr. Brown channel on YouTube, Brown on YouTube. All right? So join me there. You can post your questions there. And let's try to get to one more call. Andre in Fort Worth, Texas. Dive right in, sir. Okay. Uh, Hey, Dr. Brown, quick question in regards to – Matthew twenty five. It starts off with the parable
2: of the virgins. Yeah. Five wise virgins, five uh, foolish ones, and you know, basically Jesus comes and um, five are ready. They have their lamps full. The other five right. don't. Yeah. My first question is, would these all be Christians? And then the next question is, what does it really
5: mean in terms of our walk to have our lamps full?
0: Yeah. Those those are great questions, Andre. And I, I wish I had more than 45 seconds to answer. In the parable, the assumption is that you're dealing all with believers because they're described the the same way. And again, it's a parable, right? It's not an actual doctrinal teaching. It's a parable. The point being that we must be ready, that, that we must be ready for the Lord's return and living in anticipation and expectation. And uh, I don't believe it's a matter of eternal salvation that's being depicted, even though it's very strong imagery there. Nor do I believe it's preacher rapture, the left behind, et cetera. But rather, what it would mean is, is I'm living a life devoted to the Lord. I am not saying, oh, he's not coming back for long. I'm just going to party. I'm just going to live in the way of the world. I'm just going to kind of live my own life and be filled with worldly things. No, no. I'm living a life devoted to the Lord in anticipation of his coming. So whenever he comes, I won't be ashamed. All right, see you in 25 minutes on YouTube.